0: G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch and I'm looking forward to you listening to today's chat as there are guests that joins the alumni of the likes of Scott Spark, as well as Jeremy Neal, just to name two.
1: Jack Bratt, guitarist, singer, songwriter, producer and the 2019 Grant McLennan Fellowship recipient, joins us from their hometown of Brisbane, Australia to talk about the Fellowship, their single Outsider and about life.
0: Jack Bratt, welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Grant McLennan
0: Fellowship, you are the current recipient of that fantastic award. We've spoken with Jeremy Neal regarding it, having awesome. the past. I think it's Great. a deep honour to get the award, but in your own words, what is it like to get Grant McLennan Fellowship 2019?
2: Well that's you hit it on the head man it's, it is a great honor i'm still kind of a little bit bewildered by the the fact that i was able to receive that award cuz you know it's been running for such a long time just seeing the the caliber of people who've received it in the past you know to kind of be thought of in that same way uh is just it's a bit you know gobsmacking for me um and especially it is you know it's so important because ultimately because it's named after Grant McLennan and he was such a huge part of, of Brisbane, Queensland music, Australian music, um, and just a wonderful songwriter, you know, taken away from us too soon, especially because he was kind of the go-betweens were really um, finally finding their stride after being such a um, a cult band for most of their career. And um, that last record they were making, you know, was really starting to put them in the forefront and, and, and kind of push them into that legendary status it's, it's just such a shame that he isn't here to be able to enjoy that success, I guess.
0: What do you take from the go-betweens discography or Grant McLennan's discography into your own work?
2: Um, I think that fearlessness to just write what you write and to do it honestly, because they never you know bowed to trends or anything like that. They wrote what they wanted to and told their, their stories and that i think ultimately makes music stand the test of time when you don't uh, you, yeah you don't kind of start to follow whatever whatever is popular at the time they were always true to their sound but evolving as well and they sang about australia and and you know there or, or wherever they were you know what i mean their their environments and their their personal experiences that's extremely important to me as a songwriter to to do the same because that's the music that I latched onto and still do you know, when I was younger and now is, is hearing about people's personal experiences and, and how you are able to relate to that is um, important to me. And I feel in, in a way, a bit of a, an obligation or a duty to do the same thing in my music.
0: And that's what we got from the conversation with Jeremy Neal is that it it is a responsibility as a songwriter that you can take firmly in your heart and you would have been taking it to New York as well if the times were different. Now, just giving an idea of that timing, New York would have been the writing of your debut solo album. You've got a huge discography of other band material, but this is your personal solo album debut. But I hear it's a little bit different, that what's now happened is you're so keen or... There's good things happening, but the debut might be out even before you get a chance to take up the New York residency, as it would feel like.
2: This year was planned out pretty much down to the month, you know, or the week, you know, even, which is really not my style. I've never kind of been that structured, you know, going forward. So when everything kind of went wrong um, for all of us, um, I just had to kind of reconfigure everything and um, I wrote... A lot of music in quarantine, which I was not, I did not see coming. I just was, I thought that I was just going to sit on the couch and watch Saturday Night Live clips basically over and over again and get a drinking problem. <laughs> but I was actually quite prolific. Um, and I've never been um, a really consistent, prolific songwriter. In fact, before I released, or before I applied for the Grant McLennan Fellowship, I hadn't really written a song in four years. I just kind of turned that off. I just needed a break. I was just a bit burnt out. This has been like the most prolific songwriting period of my life. But, you know, there's been songs that i kind of keep forgetting that I've written because I wrote so many so quickly. So you kind of go through my, my phone demos and I'm like, Oh, that I forgot I'd written that song. And it's kind of a, a positive that came out of a, a really bad situation. When I found out that I couldn't go to New York, um, I applied for some funding through uh, some further funding through arts Queensland to, to work on my debut album because I'd written the music and I was very lucky enough to receive that funding. So I started working on it straight away and we're about getting, getting close to the halfway point now. I mean, it's just a kind of a really good opportunity to work on the album, seeing as you can't really do anything else. I can't, you know, play shows or, you know, and a lot of life's normal activities aren't taking place. So there's no, not a lot of distractions or anything like that.
0: You did take a break after about a decade plus being in bands what was the spark that reignited within you? Do you think?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I, w- I was always playing. Um, I didn't really take a time away from from being in, in in bands and performing and kind of contributing to songwriting and, and crafting of material. But as the songs that kind of came from from me, from inside and telling my story, that I stopped that for about four years. I just um just just hit a few pretty big roadblocks uh, in in just lots of different scenarios in my life, and it was just like. I just needed to stop for a little while. The thing that really reestablished my enthusiasm for it was applying for the fellowship, for the Grant McLennan Fellowship. My my fiance sent me the um the link for it, and um it just seemed like a really interesting goal to work towards. Maybe a little bit delusional, I thought at at the time, but it just gave me structure and and yeah, and just something to kind of to aim for, you know. And um, that just really kind of got all the cogs turning again. I was really hoping to kind of get in the final four. That was my goal. Obviously I exceeded that, which was just, you know, still a bit of a shock, but um, the process was just such an enjoyable one. Like that's all I thought about for five months or whatever. You know, I just, you know, I just fell down the rabbit hole of go-betweens discography and, you know, did a bit of a um, local tourist, you know, thing in Brisbane and just kind of went and saw places, you know, where, you know, Grant and Robert, you know, you know, lived or, you know, spent their time and stuff. And it was just a really kind of, you know, kind of cool experience to have legendary musicians, you know, in my own backyard that I could go and, you know, do a bit of a respectful, um, you know, lay a local tourist kind of thing. And, um, and, and the songs that I wrote during that period, you know, it was just exciting to, to reestablish myself as a songwriter and just, I'd forgotten the joy that that brings to be able to craft, you know, a song and that ability to do it. It's just that it's the, one of the greatest feelings in the world. And I'd forgotten how much I loved it. I, you know, I guess you can kind of um, try and separate, um, you know, or, or believe that that's not your part of your identity, but it really is mine. I am a songwriter and and you, you can't kind of fight that, you know, it's going to follow you around, you know, after denying it for a little while. And that's that's what I tried to do. But um, ultimately that's that's who I am.
0: Jack, what I'm also hearing is that the Grant McLennan Fellowship, which I'm a big fan of, as I'm sure you've picked up, is the fact that even if you didn't receive the fellowship, you still would have been rewarded by actually living through those experiences and educating yourself about the local and about how your maybe your part fits into that puzzle of Brisbane Australian music.
2: That's it. The reward kind of started happening straight away really and just, you know, me kind of like waking up after, you know, being asleep for a long time. That's that's really how it felt like, you know, I was just a happier person and did the whole opportunity application process was just an amazing kind of journey. And it and it was it was just all encompassing. It's all I thought about and because it's a really detailed application as well. And it was a bit reflective in a way. Like I kind of because you have to, you know, show you know, a body of work or that, you know, proof that you've you've done things. It's not about like the, the next up and come or anything like that kind of going back through my career or things that I've done, it was really interesting to, I guess there's a, a big sense of pride I felt, you know, or accomplishment that I had kind of forgotten about, or just, you know, I just, it doesn't really enter my head very much and just thinking I've, I've really done some interesting and, you know, left of center stuff during my life, like to think about some of the experiences I've had, you know? Um, so there was that aspect and also reaching out to people, um, friends or people in the music industry um, for, letters of support and I was overwhelmed with that response and um, how many people kind of believed in me and what I was doing. I never thought that I was kind of held in such regard by such um, people that I respect, you know, so much. Um, So that was another thing, like it was, you know, those kind of, those stepping stones really just kind of created the confidence that I hadn't had in a long time. And obviously then to ultimately win the award, it just, you know, skyrocketed.
0: That brings us to the brand new single at the time that we record, which is called The Outsider. In many regards, did you find that you weren't the outsider that you thought you were by the fact that you're part of this community who are quietly at the sidelines waiting for you to rejoin them or to be part of what they represent?
2: Yeah, I mean, a big part of um, The Outsider came after winning the award because I didn't think that people thought of me in that way. You know, when I reached out to some people, like kind of like fingers crossed, you know, thinking you know I wonder if they'll maybe I might get them on a good day and they might give me a letter of support but how forthright they were with you know their their kind of praise of of me and and hoping that I they wanted wanted me to succeed was just I just couldn't believe it so because that's not how I view myself it was really interesting to me to see what other people think of me so you know the outsider is everybody else but me so I want to you know I wanted to kind of Try and understand like what that person is. They have in their mind. They they think that I am. If that makes sense, you know, because I don't see myself at all like that. You know, I'm just you know, I feel like a pretty regular person. You know, quite introspective, and you know, and a songwriter, and you know, I have you know a lot of joy in my life, and you know, a lot of problems as well. But to think that um that they kind of wanted me to prevail, you know, as a as a songwriter, and they wanted to see you know what I what else I could do. That was just a, a really, a, yeah, I must have created some sort of, you know, idea of, of, of this person that's, you know, I, I don't feel like all of the time. Um, so, yeah, that that perception is just, a, just such a funny thing to me.
0: And I'm going to mention them because obviously you're a musician, but I come from a radio background and there are some great radio stars, including your own fiance, Miriam, who yeah. is doing a great job uh, in Brisbane in the morning show role, basically, after the big Carl yeah. and Jackie O show, it's, you know, she's there doing her thing.
2: Yeah, If you don't mind, it, it.
0: because she was going to also go in New York and take up acting for a little while, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind just waxing lyrically about how Merriam has played a part in developing you as a singer-songwriter, I just feel that actually goes beyond just the partnership that's also part of your music life as well. Is that the case?
2: Yeah. I mean, I kind of oh, – everything to her because <laughs> it's so funny when we got together uh which was six years ago we just had our six year anniversary all the bands that i'd been in before and stuff like that were kind of about you know as a young man a lot of it's just about relationships and, and girls and you know that you know the chase and the you know all that kind of thing and um when we got together and i was found myself in this sublime happiness i thought this sucks i'm not going to be able to write any music <laughs> you know what am i going to write about now her her encouragement and um you know, just unbelievable support is just is huge for me. And she's, you know, just you know, she's the biggest kind of cheerleader in in the wings for me. And I just, you know, obviously want to. Even though I found my happiness again by be, you know, re reestablishing myself as a songwriter and an artist, it's it's selfish in a way. But I also just want to, you know, kind of keep making her proud and you know keep you know myself you know being the best person that I can be you know for her. Like I said, she's just an incredible person and just really good at everything which is really annoying but everything she kind of takes on board she just excels at when she kind of wanted to start transcending into acting she was accepted in the Stella Adler school of acting you know with you know very little experience she's just her kind of self um, tests were that good and they saw a lot of potential in her so obviously that that can't happen at the moment yeah that's also really kind of fun experience because I have to be kind of the um the script reading um you know house husband with her like trying to like read the lines with her so she can do her her acting courses and stuff online and I've just found out that I have absolutely zero acting talent.
0: It's slightly untrue you're talking yourself down because when you put on an astronaut NASA suit you can act you can. That was not
2: me that was not me I'm not in the suit.
0: But that that is her though.
2: Yes that is absolutely her and she did an amazing job. It was selfish. I didn't want to just run around in, the, in that suit all day because I thought that's going to get really hot in there. <laughs> that's going to be uncomfortable after, you know, the first you know, few hours. Um, but yeah, we had this amazing um, actor called Christian, who's also an incredible dancer and did that really cool dance sequence down the stairs. And he was happy as Larry running around in the space suit all day. And he was very in character and so expressive without being able to show his face. Yeah, it was amazing to kind of watch him do that. And they were just great together. It was awesome. If you (laughs) don't
0: mind sharing this story, all I know is that you flew from Norway to London for her. Can, Can you share anything publicly about that?
2: Yeah, so we kind of fell in love like on the phone, really. We kind of met just before I was moving to Berlin and she was living on the Gold Coast. She decided to uh, move to London because her sister was there. She was originally going to move to LA, but then her sister was working over there. She's a cardiac scientist and um, had a great job over in London. So she figured, you know, there's something kind of special here with this, with with me. She thought also her sister's there and her two best friends had had gotten radio jobs over there. So she thought, okay, maybe that's kind of the, the better thing to do. And I said, well, yeah, that'll kind of, maybe that'll work out because I'm in Berlin, you're in London. It's kind of not that far to fly back and forth if you want to kind of, do that you know meanwhile my band broke up two weeks after we sold everything and moved to berlin and we were just going to focus on the band and do that so yeah two weeks after we got there band breaks up we had a the drummer and the, our keyboard player uh, were in a relationship and they yeah decided uh, they'd been together for seven years and then two weeks later they after we got there they decided that, that that was that so one of them flew back to australia and the rest of us kind of thought well, what are we going to do so we drove around europe for two and a half months we drove from Berlin to Portugal to Norway. During that time, I was just kind of thinking about, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I I don't really have anything back in Australia. Like I have like, obviously my, my, my immediate family, but I just kind of felt like there was just something so strong with Miriam that I hadn't felt before. And, um, I thought I wanted to take that chance, you know, it was worth betting on. And, um, so I flew when I kind of started running out of money, I thought, okay, I'm going to, leave the leave the team at this point and i flew from norway um, to london i'm actually lucky enough to be a british citizen as well so i have a british passport we went and stayed you know together with it with each other in an airbnb getting to know each other for like the first week and we just completely fell in love and we've just been together ever since then
0: romance isn't dead it's lovely to hear thank you for sharing that i really appreciate that
2: well yeah i mean people say that um it was a bit nuts to do but you know meeting your you know the love of your life in a bar is um kind of not really likely it hadn't really worked out for me for the you know my previous romantic life you know so I thought well I'll just do the opposite <laughs> and um throw myself in the deep end if it didn't work out it doesn't work out you know I can always go from there but I at that point I just it felt like a really big reset button for me my my whole identity had been about being in this band you know for the last six years or something like that so when that ended I, it was kind of a bit refreshing in a way as well and it just kind of let, made me more open to the to that opportunity. And um, yeah, it's been, you know, the greatest decision I've ever made.
0: Of course. And good luck for the wedding when it can happen. Let's talk about that transitioning now to being a solo artist because very much that's what this is about. And the debut album, which is due in about 2021, give or take a pandemic or three, but (laughs) how have you been, Coping with being a solo artist. How has that been? What are some tips and tricks that have been getting you through that transition to a solo artist?
2: I think ultimately the decision to do it is just like being in bands for such a long time. For somebody who hasn't been in a band, being in a band is really difficult. That being said, I mean, like, it's an amazing, rewarding experience and playing music with your best mates is awesome, you know, and, and doing all the cool things you get to do. But it's very hard to keep everybody focused and interested and on the same page and power to bands like, you know, you 2 or whatever who managed to do it, you know, for as long as they have and keep the same members because that is just, it seems like an impossibility to me. As like the um kind of predominantly the driving force behind most of the acts that I've been in and I've sacrificed a lot, you know to for music and i would you know not go to people's families you know birthdays or anything like that because you know you're you're playing a show or you're on tour or you're in the studio and stuff like that so there's a lot of sacrifice and and slowly you see well i, I saw that trend start to change and our people's priorities changed for me it was always the band comes first and then it's it slowly started to be that that wasn't the case for everybody else and you can't have that because you know the, the chances of um, being successful as an artist are extremely, extremely rare. Um, and if you're not all on the same page and 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 all slogging it out together at the same pace, you're not going to get across the line. The decision to be a solo artist, it's up to me at the end of the day, I can work as hard as I want. And, you know, I deal with the the yeses and, and the noes, you know, from the industry, but it's really up to me and I don't have to kind of keep you know everybody else into it you know on the downside you know you don't get to share that camaraderie with your friends you know that's but you know i haven't been on tour yet so obviously i'll have a band you know and i'll have people that i want to be with me you know so that'll be a little bit different but it's just you know i guess i'm just uh creatively and um decision making wise it feels a little bit easier because i don't need to i I can obviously get advice from from people and i have a great team around me and and um, people i can rely on for advice and and direction but I get to kind of make the decision. If I don't feel comfortable doing something, I won't do it. And I guess there's a lot of freedom in that. Um ultimately um there's you know it's a lot more vulnerable because it's just me. So mm. it's not the sum of the parts, I guess that's the only the real negative. But I guess I'm willing to kind of I'm more confident in myself now um as I'm a little bit older and a, a little bit of um a little bit wiser hopefully but I'm I'm more okay with having a bit more of a thicker skin, I guess, when it comes to, you know, that rejection that ultimately, you know, comes with being an artist. It's just different, but not that much different, I guess.
0: You're currently listening to a conversation with the Grant McLennan Fellowship recipient, Jack Black, recorded back in 2020. Let's continue now with the conversation. So, uh, allegedly, Stevie Wonder thinks that you're lovely.
2: My fiance and I, we went to uh, just for a quick holiday to LA a couple of years ago now. Uh, we just, we love it there. And, you know, we're big fans of, you know, the musical history of that place. We were kind of just, we were having a drink at um, in in Hollywood and we were kind of wondering what what to do that night. We were both a bit jet lagged, a bit tired. And there's legendary kind of blues, you know, jazz and blues bar called the baked potato um, out near universal city that I've always wanted to go to. Um, it's just, you know, kind of notorious for, huge acts kind of just popping in and jamming and stuff. It's a really tiny place. And I said to Miriam, let's just go over to the baked potato and see if there's a band on, you know, see some live music. And so we jumped in an Uber and we got there and we got the last two seats because it was uh, the Ronnie Foster trio was playing. I didn't know the Ronnie Foster trio, but Ronnie Foster used to play keyboards with Stevie Wonder. And so we're sitting down and we got like the last two seats at, at the bar in the corner, which is kind of the closest to the stage, but there's all kind of small tables with candles on. You can probably fit 30 people in there or something like that. It's really, really tiny. So we're at the bar and just, you know, the band starts playing and they're absolutely killing it. And I was just like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. Just amazing, amazing talented musicians just kind of sitting there in awe and chatting to a few people at the bar and just having the best time. And then all of a sudden there's like just a, a weird kind of, you know, change, you know, happened in the air and there was all of a sudden a bit of um, nervous energy. And then I saw these, uh, you know, guys that looked like secret service people wearing suits and they were kind of scattering around. And it was really I was like, what the hell is going on? Who are these guys? And they were kind of like talking into like, you know, their earpieces and stuff like that they kind of settled down and then after a while we were just watching the band and then the guy who we were chatting to next to me he said he leaned over and said Stevie Wonder's sitting in the corner I was like what and I just leaned over like behind the pylon that was next to me and Stevie Wonder is sitting right there and I just was like holy hell how is this happening I'm in the same room as Stevie Wonder there's like 30 people in here and I'm one of them Miriam's one of them. And he's one of them. like, it's just insane. And not too long after that, cause yeah, people were kind of excited that he was there and they were starting, it was starting to kind of go through the venue that he was sitting there. He has a, you know, a guy who's with him, who um, you know, can lead him around and stuff. And he, Stevie kind of signaled that he wanted to get up. And so the guy brought him over to the stage and he just grabs the microphone and Ronnie Foster's like, this is awesome. Like, I, would, I wouldn't expect him to kind of do this, but he's like, all right, Stevie, do whatever you want to do. And um, Stevie just starts singing and then, but he can't, obviously he can't see, so he doesn't know where the front of the stage is, so he's on an angle looking directly at Miriam and I. Like, it's like a, a metre and a half away. He's just, and he's singing right to us. And then all of a sudden the song stops and then he says, um, and then he starts calling out the chords mm-hmm. he wants the band to play. And then he starts, and then it turns into, isn't she lovely? We're just like, what are you doing? This is incredible. And then he plays Golden Lady after that. He's just like playing his own hits. He's just like calling out, and the band's freaking out too. Like, like obviously, Ronnie's like, okay, it's Stevie's show now, but the other, the other band members are like as gobsmacked as we are all are. Like, how is this possible? And he just just yeah, a couple of songs and then sits down and enjoys the show. And we're just like, that was insane. Like, how is that even possible? The band finishes and Miriam and I have had a couple of drinks. And I said to Miriam, let's go and say hello to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and she goes, all right, let's, we have to do it. So we went over to the guy and he kind of like stops us. And we said, sorry, we just wanted to say hello to Stevie, if that's okay. And he kind of whispers and stevie's ear and stevie nods and so he's like he waves us over and i was like hi mr wonder i just wanted to say hi and he just held out his hand straight away and shook my hand and he said oh are you guys from australia and we said yeah we, we're from australia i love australia i, I love going down there and we said oh that's you should come back you can come anytime you like and then um yeah miriam gave him a kiss on the cheek and we all had, had a photo together and very gracious and lovely man and it was just a a night we'll never forget, you know, having Stevie Wonder singing, isn't she lovely to us <laughs> from a few feet away?
0: Fame is never too far away with you, Jack. I, I find. Because from the age of five, ha- hanging out with Keith Urban, who I agree with you, is a great guitarist. I'm not I'm not taking the pith. He is a great guitarist.
2: He's one of the top five in the world.
0: Let's go through them because obviously you know who the top five are.
2: Or oh. Do you want to give Eric us, Giles. I was about to
0: say, do you want to give us three just to play it safe?
2: Yeah, Eric Giles, uh, John Mayer, and uh, Derek Trucks. I mean, yeah, he's what he can do with a guitar is um make, makes you feel things.
0: What did you learn at the age of five meeting Keith Urban? Was there anything that you learned from that experience from meeting him?
2: Well, I, I do, it wasn't just a one-off thing. My parents and, you know, my dad's a musician and – so he was good friends with the band that Keith was playing in. Uh, it was a band called Rusty and the Airs Rockets. Rusty lives in, in Florida now. and um, But, yeah, Keith was the guitar player in that band. And so, yeah, Keith was around quite a bit when I was a kid. Um, I don't really remember him. I remember being at a soundcheck where he was playing a, um, a song called Clutter Billy, which is on his kind of first album. The first album he did when he went to the States, it was under the name The Ranch. Um Yeah, so I kind of remember that pretty vividly. But, um, yeah, he was always just very, very nice to me and stuff. And, um, you know, he was kind of the guy that we, you know, everybody knew was going to make it. He was just that talented. Even his early songwriting and stuff like that, I still think is great. You know, um, it took him a long time to to get over in in the States. But, you know, he's kind of, um, I'm not you know, the biggest country music fan, but I love what he does. And he was, I think, one of the, the people who really, kind of created that country crossover genre that's so popular now yeah it's amazing to see that he's still doing it after such a long time and and at such a high level there's um a song off his last uh, last album called blue ain't your color i think it's called and it's you know one of his best tunes it's awesome it's just a killer song
0: and he's also writing great music whilst in a happy married relationship as well proving you can do it whilst you're happy
2: That's it, yeah. I mean, a lot of people write from, um, you know, not from personal experience, they create characters and all that kind of stuff. It's not something that I've really done a lot of as of yet, but I've still kind of find things to to write about. But, you know, never say never, there might be a time where that, that becomes, you know, an option for me. But at the moment, it's really important for me to be, to write from an autobiographical
0: standpoint. What's the central theme of this debut album? Spades is already out and the latest single is called The Outsider. What's the theme of this debut album? A
2: lot of my music is just unanswered questions that I'm asking myself. You know, it's just a lot of it's problem solving and personal therapy, or whatever you call it. You know, it's um, as a, an artist, a musician, we're, I think we're all kind of just – you know we're uncertain people we're self-conscious but you know we still have this desire to create music so a lot of the themes re- revolve around you know you know that the confidence and there's a lot of pep talks in there you know like you know you know, you need to push through and you know jump off the cliff and um a lot of it yeah it's it's mostly just little snapshots of my life and, and these experiences and how i feel about them and there's love songs on there obviously because i'm a I'm very lucky to be you know in love and and happy in my relationship and, but yeah, there's, you know, the songs about, you know, my relationship with my family and and friends and, you know, my stance in the industry, my limitations as a a songwriter and just as a man in general, you know, and striving to always be a better one. The uncertainty is a pretty resounding theme in there.
0: How much do you let those limitations actually define you?
2: Um, It's a constant battle for me. Luckily, I'm able to turn that uncertainty into lyrical content, which creates music, which is, you know, I'm lucky to do that. So even in those moments where I'm having a rough trot with, you know, thinking like, what, what am I doing? You know, why am I still kind of banging my head against the wall here? It, it often results in a positive, which is uh, really lucky. So I guess it's a, it's an important part of my identity in a way, that uncertainty, I think it'll always be there. You know, people who have that confidence, you know, unnerving confidence to just kind of go out and, and release whatever or and not really care what the reception is, I don't get that. I care a lot about what other people think of me and my music. And, you know, I would say way too much. <laughs> and I think maybe a lot more people feel the same way, but they don't admit it, but I'm definitely in that boat. So it's, it's also hard to, to not... Um, yeah, I, like I said before, I'm a little bit older now releasing this music, so having a thicker skin is really helpful. You will get people saying that sucks or, you know, that's not, not up to scratch and, and even people that, you know, you work with or you work alongside with, you know, they're like, "Nah, yeah, it's not really kind of my cup of tea." And you're like, "Well, I really I thought that was a really, you know, great song, you know, I thought I was I, I was getting somewhere with that one." Again, going back to that perception as well, it's like, you know, it ties in with, with the music you write. What you think is a great song, you know, just doesn't resonate with other people. And the thing that you thought was just a bit of a, a brushed over song and kind of something you wrote quickly and you weren't really connected to that much, people are like, that is a great tune. I always thought I was so kind of in tune with what's, you know, right and, you know, what's good from an, an artistic standpoint, but I've, I'm slowly relinquishing control over that because I know that my objectivity is not always on point
0: let's talk about the team you've got on the album and sound engineer is head atlas i picked up and the producer is joel miles can you talk to us about yeah. the team behind the record
2: yeah well joel and i've been friends for you know he's one of the first people i met when i i lived um in i did my schooling in um Gindaby in new south wales and then moved back when i was uh, just before i turned 18 and joel We were actually – our bands were playing supporting Eskimo Joe on the Gold Coast, and that's where I met Joel for the first time. And we just became friends, you know, and we and and his sister Jess as well. We've all been friends for a long time, and his now wife, Ari. You know, just over the years, we've just really developed such a strong bond and friendship, and I really respect him as a musician. And about five years ago, he really – he went back to uni and he decided that he wanted to get into production and, and engineering And just um, really asserted himself so well. And we worked together on um, some other records. I'm close friends with um, Clint Bogue, who's uh, from the Butterfly Effect. And he's got a really great solo album that he's recorded that I helped produce. And we did a lot of, of all the overdubs at Joel's studio. And that was my first time kind of working with him in a professional sense. And I just really admired his dedication to his craft and his just perfectionism. I'm more happy to kind of let things slide. He's very much about the detail. I love that about him. And so when it came, kind of came time to start recording my music, that's who I decided that I wanted to do it with. You know, we've really established a really good working relationship and he's just got amazing ideas that are so left field that I would not see coming. And there's like a lot of compromise as well. Like sometimes it goes too far and we kind of take it back. And but he's all for experimentation and, you know, we kind of keep revisiting things and he's just really emotionally invested in the music. Like he really enjoys, he, he really loves the music. And obviously our friendship is extremely strong. So, but he's like that with um, every project he works on. He's just, uh, he's, he's really into the detail and trying to get the best absolute product he can and the best performances. And um, I really admire that about him.
0: Initially, it may have been an album that you wanted to tour live. Touring live is not such a thing now. So I'm wondering, has that changed during this process, during that conversation with Joel and maybe some of the other team members into more of a record record, a record that doesn't necessarily need to be performed live? Has any of that been going on?
2: We actually discussed it for the first time the other day. We said, what are we going to do if we ever have to play this stuff live? (laughs) That's really not thought about often. It's just about having the best sounding record we can and we're not kind of bowing to any ideas about replicating that live yet, which might come to bite us in the arse later. But we're really just about, yeah, making the best record we can at the moment and we'll figure that out later. That's future us's problem to, you know, to get into.
0: That affection for the 90s and particularly Australian bands of the 90s, how true is that? How much of that is reflected within the album and the album process.
2: When I first started going to gigs and, you know, listening to music and discovering music on my own as a teenager, a lot of the bands that I really attached to were Australian acts. And I grew up in the snow, in the snowy mountains in in Jindabyne, like I said before. And during the ski season, we'd have a lot of big bands that would kind of come through the area. A lot of those I couldn't really get into to see because I was too young, but I did start to sneak into a few gigs when I was 17. But like bands like UMI or Dallas Crane and Magic Dirt and Regurgitator and all of those bands, Grinspoon, She Had, they would all kind of come through town. So seeing like, uh watch a lot of Channel V, which is like the uh, my main kind of exposure to the world of music and they were really supportive of uh, Australian bands as well. So you see them on TV and then you see that they're coming, you know, through... Ginderbine and playing at the pub you know that was just like wild to me that they were kind of like larger than life yeah I just I loved that there were people in my own backyard who were you know Australian acts but still you know really successful from listening to those music uh, to those those records and that music it's just you know you, you take little bits and pieces from those bands to form your thing so there's definitely um elements of all of those bands of that I've kind of collected along the way and, and formed into my own musical identity I'd say.
0: There's a question left to field. It's near the end of the chat, so I hope you don't mind me asking this, but the tattoo's been flashing me like all throughout the chat.
2: Oh, this, this one?
0: Yeah, yeah. What is your connection with the Red Hot Chili Peppers?
2: Well, they were the band that just started it all for me. When I was a kid in primary school, there was a, a day where they brought the kids from the primary school to the high school to kind of sh- showcase kind of what they did at the high school and stuff like that, the different programs they had. And they had a band there, a rock band, which I'd never seen, you know, kids not too much older than I play instruments together. And they played under the bridge. And I was obviously familiar with the song. But the fact that they were doing that, and they could recreate that music, I was just, for some reason, I just didn't register that that was a possibility. And that it just ignited the fire for me. And I thought, okay, I could do that as well. And then I just, you know, just fell in love with their records and they're, they're still my favorite band to this day. They've just got such a diverse, you know, range, an amazing story. Like some of the stories, you know, especially with John Frusciante, their guitar player again now for the third time, you know, he's got one of the most amazing stories in rock and roll. Like he's just, you know, gone to the prank and back a million times and a great solo artist in his own right. Yeah. I've just always loved them. And lucky enough I've had like some interactions with them as well. And I've been lucky enough to play with Chad Smith, and you know watch some side of age and it's that's really cool to kind of be you know a little bit in that world you know very minimally but um yeah it's just it's super exciting for me and they still give you so much joy and happiness and you know, just whatever band, you know, does it for you. It's very childlike in a way. Like I still just feel so, you know, kind of giddy whenever I listen to them. I, just, I don't know if it's just like that's the nostalgia coming back or whatever of being a kid and and that feeling of discovering music for the first time and, you know, discovering that ability that I could do that as well. They're a huge part of, of me and my my joy, I
0: guess. What is the next single going to be like? Where do we go after The Outsider? What kind of soundscape are you working with?
2: We're kind of talking about that at the moment. I've just sent yesterday what I think could be a front runner for the next single just to some of my team to get the vibe of what they think. Um, so I'll wait to hear back, but they might kind of shut that down. So it's a bit hard to say. The, the one that I've kind of got in the in the wings is is, is more of a pep talk. To myself. It's more of a throw yourself into the fire kind of thing lyrically at least. And it's, it's more fast-paced and a bit more sonically diverse as far as the, the soundscape. I'm really excited about, I'm just kind of not putting limitations on on, on the instrumentation or, or what the songs are for the record. So I'm, I really am trying to make an album like the ones that I would have liked to have listened to when I was a kid. You know, you don't want to hear, you know, The Outsider Part 3. You know, you want that diversity. Yeah, so there's going to be quite a lot of different stuff on there, which I'm, I'm hoping will surprise people.
0: Jack Bratt, absolute pleasure to speak to you. I hope to speak to you after the album's release. Thanks for your time on Radio Notes.
2: Oh, that'd be wonderful. I'd look forward to chatting to you again. And thanks for today.
1: Jack Bratt, recipient of the prestigious Grant McLennan Fellowship. Fun fact, started a new year with their tune, Will You Ever, being added to the number one digital radio station in Australia. Another fact, next episode is the 100th. Guests will be a talented evening news weather presenter talking music.
0: You might wonder, why don't I do the introductions to our guests? Well, there's a very good reason. Here it is. Feel This Way was released back on July the 31st, 2020. That is the sound of a bird. There is some soaring, as well as the latest Ed Sheeran song. We're recording at Whip Cafe in Semaphore, the debut solo single is called Feel This Way, with over 25,000 plays on Spotify in less than a year.
1: Yeah, wow, that's cool, isn't it?
0: Congratulations. <laughs> You've worked shoulder to shoulder with uh, the balanced Libran himself, Zach Efron, which is true. And <laughs> someone who knows about lows and highs is our guest today, as their day job is one of Australia's respected TV <laughs> weather presenters. Just I just con- got the low and the high thing. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get his Pascal out. <laughs> um, as we head to that milestone for next episode, that's me trying to do an introduction to a guest. I'm just not that good at it. Someone who is good at presenting, doing introductions and everything else is our guest, who you are just hearing there. Jessica Braithwaite will be our very special guest. That's next time
1: radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links web design there by Steve Davis theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio I'm Tammy Weller John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia